Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have talented actor, singer, and star of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Wayne Brady. Coming up, I talked to Wayne Brady about crossing the line in comedy and what it means to be a nice guy in Hollywood. Up next, Wayne Brady. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast, leave a five-star rating, new episode each Thursday. Also, check out the column, New York Post. This week's theme is make it up as you go. Your ability to go with the flow and adapt to change will ultimately determine how well you do in life. The world is constantly changing. And if you try to get through it with rigid expectations for yourself, of others, for certain outcomes, you fail to realize what the universe actually has for you might be bigger than you could ever imagine. So do your best, control what you can, and just let the rest go. Say yes to doing the things that excite you, that you also fearful of. Spend the time you would normally spend worrying about outcomes, being present with the sound of the space that you're in right now. Dance right around the next roadblock you encounter because all of your experiences you have had up until now have prepared you for it. And if you don't know what you're doing, fake it till you make it. Turn up your confidence. I use irrational confidence all the time. And use what you do know to actually figure out what you don't. And just know, even a lot of the greats are actually making it up as they go. Freestyling. My next guest knows all about that. Wayne Brady has dedicated his life to performing and improv. So much that he's become one of the best to ever do it. He's not afraid to say yes. And the improv practice of taking what's been laid out for him and expanding on it. I talked to Wayne Brady about the limitations of being the quote unquote nice guy, being name dropped by Drake and that, you know, that Chappelle show sketch. Up next, Wayne Brady. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose. And welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Our next guest is someone who's been in our living rooms since the late 90s. You may know Wayne Brady from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Let's Make a Deal, How I Met Your Mother, and so very much more. Today I get to sit down with him and learn more about Wayne Brady, the man 
and the actor. It is my honor to welcome Wayne Brady to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate the love. I'm a huge fan. And I have to ask you, what was it like for you growing up in Orlando? And did you always know you wanted to act? Um, I always knew, I think, I think a piece of me, even when I was, God, you know, like five, six, when, when you can start processing certain thoughts, I knew that I wanted to be like some of the people that I saw on my screen. I, I knew that I wanted to, to be like, uh, you know, my, 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 uh, my mom or, or rather my grandmother rather didn't let me watch a ton of TV. So uh -huh. the things that we watched were like a lot of PBS because she didn't want me to watch, you know, the, the uh, things that she thought at the time, you know, were fast. You know, she, <laughs> she, she, she didn't want me to see that. So we ended up seeing like the greats, like Harry Belafonte, Sidney mm. Poitier, um, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., seeing those black faces. And when I made that connection, I went, oh, I, I want to do whatever those people are doing. Mm. And so I always knew I wanted to do it. I, I didn't get around to doing it until I was, I guess, uh, 15. I started acting, I was 15, 16. And, and once I started, I started doing it professionally almost immediately. Mm. So the, the one thing about having those inspirations, can you recall something that is your favorite line or show from Harry Belafonte, for example? I remember seeing Harry Belafonte in um, Carmen the Musical mm. when when I was a kid, and and so not necessarily e even a scene, but I remember just being inspired by those guys because I I wasn't particularly close to my father. I loved my father, and he mm -hmm. loved me, but he 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 wasn't around the household. He was in the military, so mm -hmm. it wasn't a deadbeat dad thing. He he was actually off. Right defending the country and right. and left me with with my grandmother and right. so when i would look at a cat like sydney poitier or i would look at harry belafonte they were the closest thing to my dad being around mm. even even you know like think thinking of the movies that that were around in the early 70s i know that it's taboo to talk about him now but i'm referring to the man that i saw as as a kid even even bill bill cosby you know, yes. like like there they were all those movies in that time and watching, you know, re reruns of I Spy. There wasn't another brother on TV at that point who was clean, who mm -hmm. who, who like his hair was clean. Everything was mm -hmm. like and this guy had just as much respect as the white people around him. Mm -hmm. And so and so I drew my inspiration from a lot of those cats that that I remember seeing as a kid. What about same question for Sammy Davis, Jr.? Oh. For Sammy Davis Jr., man, any of the variety shows that that he was on, you know, mm -hmm. the Sammy Davis Jr. show. Um, I remember seeing re reruns of the movie A Man Called Adam, where, okay, watching a brother mm. star in a Western <laughs> blew my mind because, and not to get off on a tangent, but not everyone that looks like us knows our proud history in this country in terms of cowboys. If you Correct. turn on a cowboy movie back in the day, oh, mm -hmm. John Wayne, that's, a, mm -hmm. that's the cowboy, he's swaggering, mm -hmm. he's this, no. The cowboys were originally black men. Most Correct. of the cowboys were black men and, yes. and, and some, some indigenous uh, men, men and Mexicans. They, the cowboys looked like you and me. They didn't look mm -hmm. like John Wayne. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, 10-year-old Wayne didn't know that. So I'm watching mm -hmm. 
Sammy Davis Jr. be a cowboy and trick shooting. And, <laughs> and the thing that I remember about Sammy Davis is when I would watch him on any of the variety shows, you know, the, that, that he would make an appearance on as a guest, Sammy Davis Jr. could do everything that the host of that show could not do. Mm. Sammy could drum. Sammy was a dancer. Sammy could act. Sammy could sing and talk about impersonations. Back in the day, Sammy could impersonate anybody of his mm -hmm. day. Sammy could sound like Frank Sinatra more than Frank Sinatra could sound like <laughs> Frank Sinatra and any of those cats. And he could trick shoot and he could drive a race car. It, Sammy could do everything. So I remember thinking that when I started to act, I said, I, I don't know how close I can get to that. Mm. But if it means being the most valuable person in the room, I want to be able to do as much as I can do. And also like, being a student of your craft. And I really appreciate that. And without YouTube, without social media, you had to search and find Sidney Poitier. So tell me your journey to seek him out and what you found when you finally discovered the talent that he was. Man, to find Mr. Poitier, it's, it's like you have to, to find him on screen wasn't hard because I remember watching uh, with my grandma, watching, um, guess who's coming to dinner? Mm. And my family has a special connection to, to Mr. Poitier in the sense of my family's from the Virgin Islands, from St. Mm. Thomas and St. Croix. And so being first generation here in, mm. in, in the mainland states, you know, we have folks that we're proud of. And Sidney Poitier, his family comes from an island background. Mm. So my grandmother would be like, see, be like him. Yep. That man right there, be like him. So, so you're so proud of someone that shares, shares your island culture. So I remember just loving Sidney Poitier and just thinking, you know, that's how I want to be as an actor. And, and in high school, getting a chance to, to uh, do, to do shows like, um, like, uh, uh, Raisin in the Sun. Mm. And, uh, then I ended up doing it professionally, but, mm. but, but I wasn't the Sidney Poitier role role. I was the, <laughs> the college student named George Murchison that comes and tries to, to date, date his sister. But I, but, but I watched movies like that. So then I ended up doing the plays later and Mr. Poitier was always an inspiration to me and still continues to be, be one. And so it's funny to some people, maybe even to some of the, 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 the people watching your, your podcast thinking, well, why, why aren't we talking about standups and why are we talking about Richard Pryor? And why is he talking mm -hmm. about, because the truth is I was all, I've always been, been an actor, even when I started. So I was pulling influences from the people that I wanted to pull influences from people that look like me, but who mm -hmm. can also disappear and become a character. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't until later that I could appreciate comedy. You know, once mom let, let me stay up and I would sneak up and, and, uh, and watch Richard Pryor on HBO and then go, Oh <laughs> shit, this is amazing. What's he saying? Uh. And, and, uh, Eddie Murphy and, and, um, and watching old reruns of Dick Gregory, um, uh, learning what standup was and then learning what improvisation was from, mm -hmm. from Robin Williams and mm -hmm. and learning and uh and jonathan winters and uh and watching whoopi goldberg's uh first one woman show on hbo where she was mm -hmm. doing all these characters and i couldn't believe wait a minute so this woman she just put a towel on her head <laughs> and she's using a different voice and now everybody thinks that she's a different character okay mm -hmm. i'm gonna do that too yep i'm gonna do that and watching john leguizamo Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and studying him as an actor. So those are all the factors that I took that one day when I, I didn't know that I was going to stumble into doing improvisation, which to me isn't even about being funny. It's about mm -hmm. 
creating a character in the moment and what's the funny thing that that character says. So you're going to appreciate this next question because there's a, st- a stereotype that some people have mm-hmm. about theater kids and improv performers that, mm-hmm. you know, they can be insufferable and sometimes don't know how to turn it off. Where do you think that comes from? And do it comes you think from... improv is misunderstood? Well, it's kind of a two-tier question. The first one, absolutely, theater kids can be insufferable. My <laughs> my daughter, she's she's studying theater right now. And she she loves theater. She loves Broadway. She was raised that way. She always says to me, Dad, I'm of the theater, but I'm not a theater kid. Because theater kids are annoying. And I said, I absolutely understand where that comes from. But but you also have to think of it this way. Theater kids are annoying in the way that some people find jocks annoying. Mm -hmm. You can only hang out with members of the football team for so long if all those cats talk about is next game i'm gonna smash that fool you got 30 yards blah blah and that's great because that's their world so they talk about the things that are in their world so jocks are like that you any special interest group i find but especially the theater kids because the theater kids smack of outsiderness so Uh so if you have a bunch of outsiders who can't find their place with the jocks and they can't (laughs) sit at this table and they can't sit at that table but then they're like wait a minute you like theater i like theater you're like me oh my god let's talk and then that energy can be too much and then when you have the theater kids who happen to be funny and then Uh they want to pursue sketch or stand up or improv then that overlaps into they're always trying out the material or speaking in a voice or I've got a character voice or I'm doing Hey man, I got this joke. Like, yo, just shut up. Just shut up for a second. But I can understand that because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt at some point I was that kid because I was so happy to find other kids, especially in my neighborhood. I was raised in a neighborhood called Tangelo Park in Orlando. And because of my upbringing, my grandmother really didn't let me go out and play much. So I was already the outsider because Wayne can't go outside. Wayne's this, mm-hmm. Wayne's that. Then I had a strong accent because of my grandmother and my parents. So Wayne's foreign and he doesn't talk, da, 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 da. And then Wayne's a little white boy. Wayne's this and Wayne doesn't want to come out with us. Wayne, it's like, no, none of those things are true. It's just that my mom doesn't let me go outside. And that's just it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, yeah. And so when I finally found other kids in the theater that liked the same things that I liked, it's like, oh my God, okay, cool. And then I think as you get a little older, some people, I would think I'm one of them, you learn to settle in yourself. Mm-hmm. So when I need to pull out the social gregarious mm-hmm. part of Wayne, cool. Yeah. But, but otherwise, I, I'm in the corner. You don't have to hear from me. I know plenty of the improv cats who, oh, my God, <laughs> shut up. This is not a game. This is not an improv game that we're playing at, at, at the dinner table. And each person is trying to out funny the other one. And comics <laughs> tend, tend to do that. So the answer is yes, that does happen. And I, I apologize to you, to anyone watching, if you've been caught in a bad improv conversation where this person wants to do an impersonation and, and that other person is playing playing the yes and uh, or or doing um Irish drinking song when you're trying to enjoy your food. I apologize. They 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 probably got it from watching whose line is it anyway. I'm sorry. Oh man. And I'm glad you went there. I appreciate the honesty. Thank you very much. And the thing is, so so as a black man, you're multi-dimensional, like most of us are. And Amen. sometimes 
you could get lumped into this nice guy trope. And I sure sometimes as you just admit, admit it, it can be funny, flattering, but also limiting. And even with the Ch Chappelle skit that highlighted it. So does sometimes being considered the nice guy, does it bother you or is it something you embrace? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. And over the past, you know, um, Todd years, I've answered that question to a varying degree, but, but, but I love the way that you put it. It's, I didn't wake up one day, right. And decide that I was the nice guy and Correct. image as, as we know, in sports and in, in show business mm -hmm. An image is something that sometimes you may not even realize that that image is being cultivated mm -hmm. until you look up and go, Oh, they think that I'm the worst person in the world, or mm -hmm. they, they, they think X, right? Yep. I, I've never been to jail. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that I've never stolen from anybody. I've never killed somebody. I've never mm -hmm. d done certain things. It doesn't make me a great person. It makes me somebody who check this follows the basic societal rules, right? right? I'm not going to do certain things because I don't want you to do that shit to me. Correct. So, so great. So it's a shame that as a black man, especially when you come into a business like mm -hmm. entertainment or sports, you have to be, this is your box because mm -hmm. we can work with this box. We as the network or we as a team or we as, as, as a studio, I can put that box and sell that box. Mm -hmm. So when I came aboard, I never had to worry about that really in show business until I got on. Because then, and I was, um, I, I was the only black cat mm -hmm. on an ABC primetime show where, especially in the beginning, you couldn't curse. And like e even a damn or a hell was like, huh. Mm -hmm. So we got good at double entendres. And I always played, played my role, especially that first, the first couple seasons, because I'm the only black dude on this show. I'm still trying to, you know, I'm looking around going, okay, where do I fit in? Mm -hmm. How do I fit in mm -hmm. and what can I take from this and what's the next step? So, mm -hmm. so this is my opportunity. You only get one chance to be new. Correct. So I have these eyes on me knowing that black America is watching me, but every other facet of America is watching me. So when I looked up, I realized that ABC had been marketing me as Wayne is safe. Wayne is clean, mm -hmm. the, the, I, I was being asked to host things for Disney. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and I've always said, it's not that I'm clean, I'm smart. Mm -hmm. It's a gig specific event. If you're hiring me to host a daytime talk show like I did, I'm probably not gonna come out my mouth and say cert certain things because I know the parameters of the gig. That's right. why I do my other shows so I can exercise that freedom. So Correct. one day I look up and I'm the clean, clean dude. And it did bother me and it does bother me to a degree because it is limiting. Because mm -hmm. once you get placed into a box, then right. the, the trope, and I love that you put it that way, white Hollywood, and to a degree, even we do this to ourselves. White Hollywood thinks, I'm casting a character and I want him to be dangerous. He's got to be dangerous. He's got to be this thing. So I want that black guy. Now, it doesn't matter if, if that, that black guy in their head, he has to look a certain way and say certain, certain things. He, mm -hmm. He's edgy. They've already boxed you in. And right. it's racist because it we are not a monolithic people. At all. We're not monolithic at all. At all. And, and what I love is some, sometimes the dude that they're like, ooh, we, we like him because he's, he's ghetto and he's thug. That'd be the dude that has a PhD. Correct. You just assumed 
you just assumed and the dude that you think is the cleanest guy in the room is is the first person to get drunk and smack the hell out of you. Mm -hmm. So I think that if we ever really want parity in terms of ourselves as a people, entertainment wise, life wise, Mm -hmm. we have to be able to, and this is going to sound weird to some people, we have to be able to be able to be just as mediocre Mm. as the white dude next Mm -hmm. to us. We shouldn't have to be the best because certainly I know I try and you try and there's a lot of us that try for black excellence, Mm -hmm. but the real mark of being equal is I want to be able to be just as mediocre as that other cat and have you judge me on that basis that you judge him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and a few things I want to thank you for, because also as a black man in corporate America, what we tend to realize we don't necessarily own much. So at some point you can say whatever you want to say. You still have to acquiesce at some point in corporate America when you're accepting their check. And so what I want to say to you is I use a term from sports called taking field position. I say it's like the score is like 400 years of slavery to zero. And I know we're not going to win this game. We're not going to win this game. We just don't have enough time. But I'm going to get two or three first downs and then maybe punt you know, four or five first downs and then have to turn it over to the other team. But when you're the only black person in the room, that's what you're doing. You're taking field position. So what does it feel like for you in those situations when, in theory, people are trying to give you that trope, but at the same time, you're carrying a baton? It all depends on how you look at it. And I, and first off, I, I appreciate that analogy and because it's so real. It feels so real. And I know you felt this, especially if, if you're still, if you're running down the field and at least sometimes if you're not the only one in the room, mm-hmm. you have people to block for you. Mm-hmm. But just imagine mm-hmm. that there's a kickoff mm-hmm. and you get it and mm-hmm. you look up. The whole field is nothing but that other team and you have no blocking. Mm-hmm. So you're like, all right. So I put my head down. Mm-hmm. And I make it as far as I can. And maybe I can take, take a hit and bump some pe- people off and I duck mm-hmm. and I can do everything. Eventually, I'll be brought down. Mm-hmm. But my aim at that point is to get as far as I can. Mm-hmm. It's just to get as far as I can. And I'm, I'm trying to, to get as far as I can for my family. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get as far as I can for all the people that know me. And, and I'm trying to get as far as I can for the next dude. And yes. so hopefully, running that play will will. I can get somebody else on the team so that at some point, at least, there are more of us there. I like how you made sure to embrace and or flip narratives, because I know just as a fan of the culture and of the art, the late Paul Mooney, when he said his joke about basically, you know, Wayne Brady makes Brian Gumbel look like Malcolm X. You probably were at home watching that. Bro, I was sitting watching the Chappelle show like everybody did did at that time. I, I was getting getting my hair cut. So it was myself, my barber, and we're in my living room and and we're watching the show. And then Paul comes on. I love, I, I, I love Paul Mooney. Okay, let's see what he does. And then that joke dropped. Mm. I would lie to you if I said that I was able to just go, oh, okay. Ha ha ha. No. And this is, and I think uh what it was a few months ago, I was on the Breakfast Club. 
mm-hmm. and I talk, talked about this and I'm very honest about how I feel about that joke. And there's still black, black folks. And some of the folks that are watching this is like, it's just a joke, Wayne, get over it. You don't understand. This is my take on it. Correct. I love Paul Mooney. I love this humor. I love them as a writer. I know that Paul Mooney was one of the smartest cats in the room. Paul was unapologetically black and he, and we loved him for that. But here's my problem with the joke and I'll break it down again. And I'm sure I'll see it online line after Mm -hmm. folks watch this. My problem wasn't the joke per se. My problem was in order for any type of humor to hit home, you've got to believe that the audience, that the greater audience is going to find some spark of recognition in it and go, oh yeah, that's right. Mm. So for Paul Mooney to say that, that I, and in my mind, I'm like, I can only be me. I'm black till the day I die. So I don't know what I've done that you can mark that's white. I've moved in white spaces mm-hmm. and I'm not going to apologize for that either. I am, I make Brian Gumble, who, because of maybe the way that Brian talks, Brian was one of the first in his field as well to do what, what he did. And you could say what you want to, but, but Brian in his time, Brian knocked down doors. And what you said about Sammy Davis reminded me of this. That's why I went there. And Brian Gumbel is a perfect example in multimedia. M- m- multimedia and doing what, what, he, what he can, breaking through some walls. So, so I am so white that I make him even, so, so I make him look like a militant, which means that, that now we are policing ourselves and he just questioned my blackness. The same black face that could get me arrested the same black mm. face that can get me killed, the same black mm. face that has kept me out of rooms mm. because of how I look. I can't wash it off. I'm not going to get rid of it. I don't want to. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. So mm-hmm. I took it to heart. Mm. What kind of fool would I be? Like folks would expect that to roll off my back. Pardon me, but fuck that. Correct. I'm not going, never. I would never let that roll off my back because I'm too proud of being black. Mm-hmm. I'm too proud of my accomplishments and I'm too proud of our accomplishments. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't let it go. So I was very happy that when Dave, Dave reached out, he said, hey, I, I didn't like that joke. Do you want to come and do this thing with me? And we were able to write some, something that I'm proud of because it's a funny sketch. Like it's one of TV's. Hilarious. Classic. It's in the Comedy Museum, man. It's, one of, it's, it's, it's been named one of the funniest pieces of TV in TV history. That is, yes. man, that's amazing. But I will always feel this much. Mm-hmm. I, I will always feel some kind of way about the nugget. Mm-hmm. the 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 underlying thing that that gave me the platform to make to make the rebuttal joke because i think that is a problem for us right. i think that we question i'm not going to question another black person's blackness mm-hmm. because they are who who they are if if you ever want to question something that they say question mm-hmm. a way that they move in the world question if they're they they are suspect in in, in their own black pride question mm-hmm. if they do something that that hurts you as a black person or hurts our mm-hmm. cause but you can't question them just for being absolutely and what about this like this cocktail this melting pot of everything we just discussed being black being being in hollywood being stereotyped being famous how we behave and then the oscars happen Man, uh, I knew you were going to talk talk about that. Like you almost have to, have to. You you have to. Where were you? What were you thinking? Because I know you looked at your mentions, and the classic all time great skit has been used to reference. Is so Wayne Brady going to have to smack a bitch? So many times, and 
I was actually in bed because I was up uh, rehearsing something all day and then I, I knocked out and a friend of mine called me. She's mm-hmm. like, just, just look, look at this clip I just sent you. Mm. And, I, and, and I opened up the clip and it was Will smacking Cress. Mm-hmm. And I watched it a few times because I like everyone else, it had to be a joke. Mm. Maybe I'm missing, maybe I'm missing the punchline, or, or maybe I'm missing the setup. Mm-hmm. So, so let me go back and watch some other stuff. Once I saw the whole thing, I was so sad mm-hmm. for Chris, and I was sad for Will, mm-hmm. because I realized that because of everything that we've talked about, like you're saying that cocktail, mm-hmm. neither of their lives is ever going to be the same again. Mm. And there were. It's such a layered, nuanced conversation that which part do you jump in at? Do you jump in at the, at the point where folks are like, well, Will was just protecting Jada. You know, you have the facet of people that are like, well, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that a black man stood up for his woman. Da, da, da. Okay, I get that. I see, see your, your thought about that. But the part that I saw past that was I saw Will, this man who for us for decades now has been this beacon of positivity mm-hmm. and and of you can do it-ness. Mm-hmm. Will mm-hmm. All, has always had his detractors in the black community. No, no mm-hmm. matter Will, Will mm-hmm. Smith being one, one of the biggest box office draws, mm-hmm. some cat is, all, is always going to say, ah, Will's soft. Will's, mm-hmm. Will's too white. You know, that mm-hmm. Fresh Prince stuff. Will's this, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. So Will has always dealt with that, even when he was rapping. Correct. So he's always had that thing in the back, back of his head. So he's had that. I see somebody who has laughed for the past couple couple years through all these jokes mm-hmm. about his, his situation with Jada. And even mm-hmm. before that, for, for years and years, I've heard rumors and everybody's heard the thing and everybody. Yep. How is it to be that famous that everybody wants to know what's going on in your bedroom and mm-hmm. has a take on it? And especially mm-hmm. black comedians and people mm-hmm. said in the barbershops, everybody's got a take on your life. Mm-hmm. Will has smiled about it. Will showed up at the Red Table Talk when, when, when Jada mm-hmm. is airing their biz, business out. And this Literally. happened, and, and Will's like, yeah, okay, all right, I stand, I stand with my lady, I'm this. All that pain, all the trauma that he's spoke, spoken about, all these things, I think it was a matter of time. It, it, if it wasn't Chris Rock mm-hmm. saying that joke, very stupid, low-hanging fruit, not funny mm-hmm. joke, mm-hmm. it would have been someone else at some other point, something would have gone down. And Will would have lost it because you cannot tell me that a lot, if not most of us, walk around holding in and holding on. Because I, mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I absolutely do. I've been transparent about my struggles with, with depression and, and trauma. And that's been the go-to word now the past few years that we've all discovered that. Mm-hmm. I've struggled with it. I've been in a situation, a few, where... I'm in the middle of something and I'm like, oh my God, this is almost out of body. I think that I'm about to throw this stapler at this dude's head or I might do this or I might break this or I might throw, throw, throw my phone or I might lay hands on somebody. Those are actual conscious thoughts mm-hmm. that I know I've had and I know that so many of us had. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that stops us is maybe in that second you practice self-control. You're like, well, that obviously is not the best thing. I could mm-hmm. go to jail, I'll lose right. my house, I'll lose right. my rep- reputation, mm-hmm. and I would have just struck another person 
and I should not do that. Mm-hmm. But neither one of, but none of us were will at that second. I'm not defending him. I'm saying mm-hmm. I'm just looking at a brother in pain, and now I'm looking at Chris on the biggest stage in entertainment at that se- section with a storied career. Chris Chris Rock is in the pantheon of all time greatest stand mm-hmm. stand ups, but there he is in this situation where he gets struck mm. and he loses. Mm-hmm. Either way. If Chris Rock would have then went what and squared off and then started fighting, they doubly would have lost because then Mm. it's two black men in front of America Mm. on a show that Will Packer, a black producer, Mm. is producing for the first time for the first time, which we've been complaining Oscar so white. It's finally a night that we are getting these achievements. And you mean to tell me these two people are rolling around punching each other? So that would have been a loss. And he loses because he got slapped and he did not go back at 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 will. And mm-hmm. so many people are are thank thankfully saying, good for you, Chris, for keeping your composure. Good for you for being able to to handle it and go on with the show. But of course, the internet being what the internet, mm-hmm. I've scrolled and seen some of the yep. comments. Man, punk. I mm-hmm. wish that Will Smith would would have mm-hmm. walked up and try and try to hit me. Mm-hmm. See, I knew knew that Chris 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 was soft. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't win. And that becomes part of your legacy. And that's the shame. That's the part. And, and, and it's not a shame because of the white gaze of it, because that's, a, that's, that, that's another piece of, pol- of politics that I'm not going to play going, going, see, why were you guys acting that way in front of all these white people? No, that mm-hmm. I don't care a damn about that. It's, it's about the things that they've both accomplished and what mm-hmm. that night meant to so many people that have accomplished things, mm-hmm. Questlove, Sam Jackson, mm-hmm. to every to to all of us at at home because we want to be proud for mm-hmm. our people. So we all lost too, but mm-hmm. they lost the most. And Will, for all the message of positivity, people are airing clips of him talking about violence, and and using it against him now. Will Will backslid. Will. Will will never be able to take back that slap. He'll never be able to go back in time. Will knows, Will knows the massive L that he took and the pain that he must be deal, dealing with, but the pain that it took to get him to that point. Mm-hmm. How upset must you be mm-hmm. to get up mm-hmm. on a national, on a worldwide wow. broadcast? That, worldwide. That's the thing, worldwide, right. and smack another man and walk mm-hmm. back to your seat and then curse at him twice. Yes. Where was he? Absolutely. And also, but here's the thing, like you're a seasoned veteran, but you're so very young and you're so very talented. And I appreciate you opening up about your trauma. And you talked about being on The Breakfast Club. I've had Charlemagne the guy on this show and we talked about therapy and how important it is if you can get it, seek it and absorb it. So from that moment to me, where's the line? As a comic, I'm glad you use something that shouldn't go over people's heads. You said low-hanging, stupid joke. So for you, where is that line of comedy, talking about the audience, talking about your peers, and or talking about things that they put out there for public consumption? Uh, Knowing the line, it's such a personal thing, isn't it? Because the first thing that someone says when they defend a joke is what? It's just a joke. You can't take a joke. Everybody's sensitive nowadays. <laughs> you, you know what I take from that? 
because there are things that I know that I can't and won't say on stage now doing an improv show or doing an improv set. I think it's a matter of what's your personal taste? What's your personal issue in life? Because I don't believe that everything can be defended by it was just a joke. Agree. The reasons that certain comics are so powerful, like Dave Chappelle, like Chris, because, and going back further, think, thinking just off the top of my head, you know, back in the day, Lenny Bruce, mm. you know, or when Richard Pryor really hit his stride, because comedians, the great ones, the great ones, not necessarily all the guys that you see at the chuckle hut that are making you laugh and 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 letting you forget your day at work. I'm talking about the great ones, mm -hmm. the, the, the ones that Netflix will throw millions of dollars at, mm -hmm. the ones that cause social change. It's because they are students like Trevor Noah. They, they are students of the world. They are Love students him. of people. Yes. They are insightful. They, they can cut. They bring up these issues. And for me, that's what Chris Rock is. Chris is one of those greats. Um, his, his specials, he's one of those greats. So Class. when I say that it's low hanging fruit, this is in no way to insult Chris. In fact, it's kind of like watching someone who I expect to be you better than that. One of you the greatest. Than that. The, yeah. Like to me, that's when someone that isn't very funny or that I've seen at just, 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 just like a regular cat doing room work because they're upset or they're like nervous and they're like um this joke isn't going in my head so i'm gonna go to the hey fat dude hey what's up fat man you so fat that you fat ah right everybody <laughs> fat guy that's the fat guy there there's there's no joke there right versus you knowing that you're on this stage and chris has done it be before i think that that joke was just an ill-timed and i don't know what he was thinking it just came up it came up it came out and he made a a a, a uh, GI Jane reference, not de definitely not at the top of of uh, you know the cultural zeitgeist right now. Who's talking right. about GI Jane? So I know that it wasn't something that he planned. Mm -hmm. It was just a, it was stupid, and it came out of his mouth, and it, and it happened, and it sparked the whole thing. But I think that you need to be responsible because words have power. And I've yeah. been on the receiving end and the giving end, even where I've said something in the past, and I went, oh my god. That joke that I thought a couple times that I thought worked in the writer's room or we all thought it was mm -hmm. funny backstage, I say it out loud. And as soon as I say it, I go, oh, there was a human on the other end of that joke. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I need to apologize immediately. And I not say anything like that again. And then you think all that is a comes from therapy. Well, I salute you, King. And I'm forever grateful that you've taken the time to join me today. Your honesty, your candor. So many people are going to learn from this interview. But before I let you get out of here, I got a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. Let's go. You ready to do this? Yes, sir. Okay, now check this out. You were in Lloyd video playing the part of Lil Wayne. And you Man. Been name dropped by Drizzy Drake. Who's your favorite rapper out right now? My favorite rapper out right now, just off the top of my head, I would have to say Coast Contra. Coast okay. Contra. And and then you have to look up the freestyle. They did this freestyle, the, the, uh, the JID freestyle. It is, these cats represent what I love about hip hop. And uh, it's not that I don't respect current hip hop, but I can only get with, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. But these cats, ridiculous so they're my favorite at this second done and done besides disney world 
what's Orlando, Florida's greatest attraction? <sighs> Orlando, besides Disney World, the greatest attraction, I, I would say, um, oh, damn, uh, Universal Studios, I guess. <laughs> well, what does that say about Orlando? Um, but it's the but, number one family destination in the in the United States. Bingo, bingo. <laughs> Name one celebrity who you think would be great on whose line? Ryan Reynolds. Mm, that's a good call right there. You've done daytime soaps, game shows, sitcoms, celebrity competition shows, and award shows. Would you ever do reality TV? Uh, I would if I were in control of it. If it was more of a docu-follow, and that's mm-hmm. just the ritzy way of saying, saying a reality show, because you're not going to catch me on the show trapped in a house with people and then at some point you know they're they're like well who whose alliance are you on well blah blah no that's not me i think i work a little too hard for that i'm gonna try not to no judgment but that's just not my cup of tea um i don't want want all the drama and last but certainly not least what is one thing that you've learned from improv that you think applies to life Oh, so many things. And in fact, I've got a book coming out later a- about this. Um, you have to, on stage and doing an improv scene, you have to listen. Listening needs to be the first skill. It's not just about, oh, I'm being funny. Hey, look, I'm being funny. Nope. Listening. That, that helps me in life. It helps me when I have conversations like this. It helps you in a relationship. If you listen to your partner on stage, you can yes and what they say. If you don't listen to your partner on stage, you're like, oh man, I got something funny to say, I got something funny to say. And they talk about, you know, Superman. And then you're like, and that's why my house is this big. <laughs> well, listen. No, nobody, nobody, yeah. So listening, <laughs> I'll say that is the first and foremost rule. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm a huge fan. I'll be out to check you out doing stand-up real soon. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much for joining the program. Thank you for having me, man. Yes, indeed. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank Wayne Brady for stopping by the podcast. He's a very introspective dude who really gives a lot of thought to what he puts into the atmosphere. And I appreciate that. One of the things we talked about was seeing previously vilified people through a new lens. And that is a trend that I've noticed a lot lately. And I love it, especially with women in history. The erosion of the idea of sexism has people like Anita Hill, Monica Lewinsky, and Britney Spears more sympathy than they ever experienced in the past. How about men? like Richard Williams and Matthew Knowles, the fathers of Serena Williams and Beyonce, starting to be seen as the dedicated, loving fathers that they are, not these pushy, overdriven monsters that some media members try to paint them as. Take this moment to practice empathy. Evaluate how much of your feelings towards others are shaped by the society built around you and see what parts of your mindset might need updating. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.